0: In the message both this morning and the message tonight, uh, I want us to do two things. I want us to look back, and I want us to look forward. This is the last Sunday uh, that we will be uh, together in church, and so we have a chance to look back and we have a chance to look forward at the same time, and, and, and there'll be some memories that uh, will, will make our hearts hurt and ache, and I do not, I do not remember a Christmas season in my lifetime, and this is uh, my 60th Christmas uh, with Mrs. Knapp as my bride. And uh, this is my, I'm soon gonna turn, well, half a year yet, I'll be 80 years old. So I've seen a few years in those times, but I cannot remember a Christmas season when there has been as much death as there has been. My mother died at at age 52 at uh, just before Christmas. Uh, I think around the 15th or 16th, if I remember right. And I was a student at Bob Jones when she died, and I remember that very, very vividly. But uh, some of you may or may not be aware of the fact that Dr. John Halsey uh, was diagnosed with liver cancer on Wednesday, and then eight days later uh, entered into glory. And Judy and I have, have counted... The number of deaths we've seen in these last few weeks, and, and it's just, it's unreal, but God is in control, and we have to remember that. And so uh, with, those, with that introduction, uh, I want us to turn in our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 2. Now that's a hard book to find, it's one of the 12 minor prophets, so you go to Matthew, and then you go toward the front of your Bible, two books, and you'll be at Zechariah. So it reads like this, Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, chapter, I said chapter 2, I meant chapter 1, I'm sorry. Zechariah, in this first half of the book, gives 10 visions, and we want to look for a few moments at two of those visions and ask God to speak to our hearts as we look back at what God has done and look forward to what God is going to do and I'm going to reiterate what Brother Ken said in the morning, in the Sunday school hour. God is in charge. God is in control. And we have to recognize that. But let's pray as we consider his word. Dear Lord, take your word this morning and speak to our hearts. I pray that your word would challenge us, would convict us, would encourage us, would strengthen us, would bless us as We look at what you have done and give us cause for rejoicing, knowing what you will do in the future. Oh, we want no specifics, Lord, but we don't need the specifics because we have you, and we thank and praise you for it. Meet the needs of the hearts of the people that are here today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're starting reading in verse 18. And, and Zechariah said, I then lifted I up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. This is the next vision. And I said, what come these to do? The two visions are related. And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, that is the carpenters, are come to fray them to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. In the vision described, these two visions that are described in this chapter the prophet, first of all, sees these four terrible horns. And I, I always, and when I think of these, I always think of uh, our trip we made with my wife's parents after they sold their dairy farm uh, and, uh, and retired. We took them on an on extended trip and we took them out west. We took them out to uh, uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota and we took them over to Devil's Tower and, and up to see Judy's brother in northern Minnesota who lives where the Mississippi River begins. And uh, just, just saw them, see several things. Well, uh, Dad wanted to get something for us uh, as a memento of this trip. And so every gift shop, or he'd, he'd start looking at things. And, and finally, he, uh, he was in a gift shop one day, and, and he saw a set of horns, uh, long horns. They were over six feet long. He said, I want you to have those. I said, Dad, we've no way to get them home. He said, oh, they'll fit in the car. <laughs> yeah, they'll fit in the car, of course they would. And then he told me the story of the horns. He said, there's growth lines on the horn. And he said, how old the animal was and all that kind of stuff. And of course, it set with this fake head in the, in the middle, or the, at least the brow of the head. Well, we, ma- we had a Ford LTD at that time. And we managed to squiggle that in on the, not on the driver's side, but the other side of the car, the one tip of the horn was in the front windshield and the back tip of the horn was in the back windshield and every night, he was afraid somebody was gonna steal it. He'd make us get that out and put it under the bed in our motel room every night coming home. But anyway, we got that, that, that's when I think about those horns, that's what I think about. Can you imagine these horns moving this way and that way, dashing down the strongest, the mightiest? Nothing could stand in their path. They were indestructible. I guarantee you, you get out in the wild. We, I took my wife and my family years ago. We do crazy things. Anyway, I, I heard that there were some pictographic writings. And, uh, and so I said, well, I want to go see those. So we started our brand new Chevy station, one of two brand new cars we ever owned in our life. And we started down, and it said State Road 276. And there was grass growing up in the middle of the state road. So we went down there. We crossed little creeks and so on. Finally, we went as far as we could. We had to walk. And we're walking back. This open range. And I hear these animals bellering. I think, I'm not sure how far we want to go. Well, what I, well the last thing I want to meet was one of those longhorns like that, you know, coming at me. That, I was like, nothing could stop these. So the, the prophet said, what, what happens now? And then God shows them four carpenters, and and he said, what are these going to do? And and the prophet was dismayed at what he saw because Israel being destroyed. But this time the four carpenters, and he asked the same question, what are these going to do? And the answer comes back, these are come to fray them to destroy the destroyer. And today, I believe this is really a, a symbol of what we see today as the church is under attack, the church is under attack from, uh, from every side. We find uh, the, the attacks from government, we find attacks from within, we find attacks from without, we find attacks from the courts, we find attacks from, from uh, high places, and of course, we find attacks from the pit of hell. So we can get dismayed and we can say, well, we're gonna just, we're gonna pull everything in and we're gonna crawl into a little hole. And uh, we're just going to stay there until the storm blows over. But that isn't what God has in mind. Because he says he's going to send these four carpenters who are going to destroy the destroyer. So what I want us to consider this morning for a few moments is no matter how dark the hour may be, and it can be dark when you look around, and it can be dark when you look within, and it can be dark everywhere, as long as we, but when we look up. You see, again, Brother Ken talked about faith this morning in Sunday school. Faith is not a leap into the dark. Faith is a leap into the light, the light that God offers to us. And even though the attacks may come, we must remember that God will always find men to do His work. And I believe He finds those men in three ways that we'll consider briefly this morning. Number one, God will always find them at the right time. I want you to notice the sequence here. The prophet did not see the carpenters first. Why? There was nothing for them to do. It was the horns first, and then the carpenters. God is never late for an appointment. God is always on time. Paul wrote in Galatians, but when the fullness of time was come, in other words, at the proper moment, at the very instant, Mary gave birth to that child who was going to rule. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons at the very perfect time. It kind of reminds me of our of our, of our own history, of our country, and and uh, it was the, it was just before the battle at Trenton, and uh, General Howe was uh, was uh, pressing on Washington, had driven him out of Philadelphia, and was was pressing was to, to finish the war, and uh, and in the, in the battle of uh, Connecticut, Connecticut City. Uh, a a woman was killed in that battle. It was the wife of James Caldwell. James Caldwell, an interesting man, was born down down near Farmville in Virginia, but moved up north and became a pastor of a Presbyterian church up in Elizabethtown, New Jersey. And he became known as the fighting parson of the Revolutionary War. And after his wife was killed at Connecticut Farms, uh, he became passionate about the, the war, and uh, while he was a chaplain, he, he be- began to even carry weapons and, and so on. And they were fighting, the, the troop that he was in were fighting just outside a church uh, in Springfield, at, not in Springfield, Virginia, in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts, I mean, New Jersey, in Springfield, New Jersey, and, uh, and they had a problem I'll probably demonstrate this easier than I can tell you about it. It's not loaded. <laughs> it's got a WH on it. My dad gave me the gun. He found it plastered in the wall of a house he was tearing apart. I imagine he could tell the story, but that's not what we're here about. This is the kind of guns they used. This happens to be a shotgun, but it's either a shotgun or a rifle, a muzzle loader. Now I know there. Are, how many muzzle loading hunters do I have in the crowd today? I got a. Well, oh, wow, five. All right, four. All right, takes three things to fire a weapon like this. Well, of course you got to have the weapon, but first of all, you got to have powder. Then you got to have shot, and then you have to have wadding. So you put the powder in. And I didn't bring any shot, but I did bring a marble. You put the marble, the, the shot in. You put the wadding in, then you tamp it down. You fire the weapon. That's all fine and good. The problem they had that day was they ran out of wadding. You say, so what? Ask the uh, hunters, well, so what? Without any wadding. See, I didn't put any wadding in. Notice what happened when I go to fire the gun. You're supposed to be in a British soldier. The weapon is useless. Pastor Caldwell recognized the gravity of the situation. He went into the church... And Gordon, don't get too upset about this. But he took out the hymn books and he told the soldiers, tear the pages out and use it for wadding. In that day, there was only one hymn book, the Isaac Watts hymn book. And as they were firing that battle, Pastor Caldwell stood behind them shouting, Give them Watts, boys! Give them lots! And they won the battle and staved off the British in that encounter and virtually saved Washington's army so that a few days later, he could bring them across and, of course, take Trenton, New Jersey, and which was a turning point of the war. But it was God's timing. God's timing. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident. He will always find them at the right time. The second thing I want you to notice is God will always find enough men. I want you to notice, he did not find one carpenter. Why? There were four horns. He did not find two carpenters. Why? There were four horns. He didn't find three carpenters. There were four horns. He found four carpenters for four horns. Think about this. At the time of the founding of our country, we had less than three million citizens huddled between the Atlantic Ocean and the Blue Ridge Mountains. And yet, out of those 3,000 citizens, God gave us 56 men who were willing to sign the Declaration of Independence and pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. These 56 men believed they would pay with their lives for that pledge. And by the way, some of them did. Yet they were willing. As we look forward to 2020, what are we willing to pay? What are we willing to give? What are we willing to do to see America turn back to the God that our founding fathers loved? and worshipped, and even in establishing a government intended to serve. We need to bring America back to these first principles. And then number three, God will always find the right men. You know, God did not need orators to fight these horns. He, He did not need authors to write. He did not need architects to design. He needed carpenters. He needed rough carpenters. I know a little bit about carpentry only because my father was a carpenter. Now my father was not a finished carpenter. My father was not a cabinet maker. You never asked my dad to build you a cabinet. It would look a lot like ones that I would build if it was. He uh, didn't ask my dad to finish house. My dad, my dad did the stuff that was behind the scenes. Now, I think these new pillars are, are neat. But you know what? If you take out what's behind those pillars, guess what would happen? This whole building would collapse. It's what's behind the facade that holds the building up. It's behind what's behind the, the drywall here that holds the building up. It's the stuff you don't see. That's the stuff my dad built. My dad said he never saw a two-by-four that would not fit. (laughs) And he had an eight-pound sledge in the trunk of his car to prove it. If it wasn't quite where he wanted it, out came the sledge and he gently tapped it into place. No, he worked it over till he got it where he wanted it. And this is what God was providing here were rough carpenters, men with eight pound sledges who could take them to those horns. And again, I would turn us back to what God has provided for us in the founding of our country and realize in the past what God has given us and I think it's also given us a charge for the future. George Washington is considered the father of our country. And yet he had a humble beginning. He started out as a surveyor, surveying Western lands. He became an Indian fighter and knew how to fight with Indians, and this was all under the British rule. And finally, he ended up as being an officer under General Braddock. General Braddock, the British officer, was on his way to Fort Duquesne. We call it Pittsburgh today. And, of course, they were marching through the woods in the typical uh, British uh, uh, fashion. If you've been down to Williamsburg, you have a picture of it. Drums and fifes and marching in in rank and file down through the woods. And Washington said to Braddock, he said, that's not the way you fight Indians. And being a very nice general, like most generals are, he said, I'm in charge here. Shut up and get in line. So Washington shut up and got in line. They continued their march and only to be ambushed by the Indians, which, of course, was what Washington knew would happen. Braddock was killed. Many of the soldiers were killed. And four bullets passed through Washington's clothing, but he himself was not touched. He wrote a letter to his mother. He said, Providence has protected me. That was a word they used in those days for God. He was saying God had protected me. God had another job for Washington to do. Washington took charge of the troops and led them back out of that massacre, buried Braddock's body there at the time, and, and completed what they needed to there. He had two horses shot out from in that battle, and four bullets passed through his garments. Then we have Thomas Jefferson, just a few miles from where we are today, raised there at, uh, or or lived there at uh, Monticello, gave us the Declaration of Independence. What words, what eloquence, and, and what meaning. We have James Madison, who gave us our Constitution. We have Patrick Henry, who just a few doors from us delivered his most famous speech, give me liberty or give me death. You know, these men prized that liberty so much that they were willing to die for it, and we need to prize that same liberty so that we would live for it. We would exercise our ability. In 2020, we will elect a president. In 2020, we will elect one third of the Senate, U.S. Senate. In 2020, we will elect uh, all of the members of the House of Delegates, uh, House House of Representatives in Washington. It's important who we elect, because we need to elect men who believe the Word of God, men who, who would, would, would believe the principles of the Word of God. You say, well, that would be wonderful if we could have all Christians who really believe the Word of God. But unfortunately, in my days with the legislature, I found men who I believed that were Christians, but did not really believe the Word of God. By that, I mean they did not, they did not believe the sanctity of life. We need to be prepared to vote in 2020, to vote for men who will lead this country on. There are men and women today who want to lead lead this country on, and we need to elect those in 2020. Patrick Henry, the trumpet of the revolution. And then Thomas Nelson, the financier of the revolution. He was one of two men who literally gave fortunes to to pay the troops and to keep the, the troops moving forward. Uh, it's a rather interesting story told about Washington as he stood there on the banks of the Delaware. And, of course, uh, he had 2,400 men. Most of those men's uh, uh, enlistment would, would expire on January 1st. What was Washington going to do? Washington was really baffled as what do, so he wrote Congress and said, send me money. He told the men, he said, if you'll re-enlist, I will pay you $10 as a signing bonus. But he didn't have any money. And Morris, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, sent Washington the money. Congress would not send it, but Morris did. And again, God intervened. Well, Thomas Nelson was one of those financiers. Thomas Nelson from down at Yorktown, if you've been down there, you've, seen, you've visited his house. I remember visiting his house when they, they had a program in there, when, if these walls could talk. Fascinating program they put on there at the house. He, that was his home, his plantation. He raised $2 million after the revolution. $2 million, what would that be worth today? I have no idea. I, I, I cannot even comprehend. Probably worth, it'd have to be worth hundreds of millions today. By today's, by today's, he raised two million dollars on his own signature to help get the French allies to come here and blockade so Cornwallis would be defeated. After the war, he personally paid back all those loans and wiped out his entire estate. He was never reimbursed by the government. And during the final battle of Yorktown, he stood beside George Washington as they were trying to defeat Cornwallis at that battle. And he told Cornwallis, he told Washington, he said, fire on my house, because that was Cornwallis's headquarters, but let's defeat them. If you go there today, there's a cannonball inside the house. That was there. He died bankrupt because he had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor, and he would not surrender in that. Today, I believe God knows where to find his servants. Today, I believe he has a multitude of mighty men. And I guess, I guess the question I would close the service today is this. Would you be willing to be a carpenter for Christ in 2020? Would you be willing to stand for him, to proclaim his good news, to proclaim his way, to reach lost men and women for Jesus Christ. And yes, even to see this country turn back to the Word of God, the God of the Word. What a day that would be, you know? God is still on the throne. I do not believe God is true with America yet. I'll tell you why. One of the reasons is because America has still continued to stand by Israel. Yes, This country has turned their their face, they've spit in the face of God in many ways, but we still stand by Israel, and I I do believe that's one of the reasons why God has preserved this country. The second reason I believe God has preserved this country is I do not know of any country in the world that has given as much money to send missionaries across this globe to try and spread the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, help us. Let us be carpenters for Christ in 2020.